Imagine this. You're on a lonely stretch of road in the middle of the night. You're tired from driving all day. Maybe you're driving home from a trip. Maybe you're alone driving back from an office in the next county over. Either way, you're blinking your eyes against the rare glare of headlights from passing cars and trying not to let the flashing white lines lull you into sleep. Your eyelids are growing heavy, the thrum of the tires on the road a hum that makes you start to nod off. When all of a sudden a shape darts out in front of you on the road, you slam on your brakes, thinking it's a deer, it's a dog, a confused person, only it stands taller than any human ever could. Its hunched shape bent in all the wrong angles, its fingers strangely elongated and sharp, glowing red eyes staring back at you in the beam of your headlights. You're frozen, watching in terror as it raises a snout too long to be any animals and lets forth a piercing, howling scream. The scream is the last thing you hear as it charges your car. Those glowing red eyes, the last thing you see. It's time, dear listener, to talk about cryptids. Okay, thank you. Music. Hey there, romance nerds. I'm Jen. And I'm Jackie. We're two librarians from Nopal in upstate New York, and you're listening to Raging Romantics. In this podcast, we like to think a little too deeply about romance books. If you're into theory, history, and raging about romance landia, then you should stick around. Please be advised that some of the things we talk about may not be suitable for younger listeners. Content warnings for episodes are available in the show notes. Jen, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right. Let's rage! Hey, Jackie. Yes. Did you hear that Bigfoot was spotted throwing a tantrum and talking back to his parents? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's no wonder they call him the Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was good. I, I'm i not going to lie. Knowing you, I fully expected to have like a really mean joke. That was mean. He's being a brat. Yeah, but like something about like Sasquatch believers is what I truly Oh, no. Expected. I will try to be. Okay. Try to be polite. Thank you. We'll I see. appreciate it. And I do not w- expect you to withhold your sass. Sorry, I was we'll playing see. footsie with you. No, under, it's fine. Under I didn't know we were sharing a chair. <laughs> it's okay. Well, welcome back, romance nerds, and welcome back to a thoroughly Jackie discussion. As always, before we begin, a big shout out to Nopal for sponsoring this podcast and paying me to talk about the weird and wacky side of romance novels with Jen, who gets to bear along for this lovely ride here. I recently got to speak in front of our board, so if any board members are listening, here's a heck of an episode to welcome you to the genre. Because, yes, as Jen literally throwing her headphones in the last episode precluded, today I finally get to talk about Bigfoot in a semi-professional manner. Who else is excited? Jen, I know you're so excited. Well, you said it's not about the beliefs, so no. it'll be fine. Yes, like, I understand exactly. the myth of Bigfoot exists. Yeah. I just don't think Bigfoot himself exists. Yeah. We're going to be talking about the myths and like the background, because we've talked about monsters. Yeah. Kind of like ad nauseum. We've all like we forever. keep talking about monsters. A gazillion years. Because they're so much fun to talk yeah. about. But and they're big. We here in North America, and especially in the United States, there's some sort of phenomenon where we are obsessed with cryptids and scary stories and things that go bump in the night. And I really wanted to examine monsters that are specific to, like I said, North America. And before Jen throws her water bottle at me, I'm like watching out of the corner of my eye. It's too expensive to throw. It's too safe. <laughs> Fair enough. We're going to be talking about other cryptids along the way because as much as I would like to, I really can't do a whole episode just dedicated to the Squatch 
in relation to romance. I like, mean, there really wasn't that much. Like, I did. Yeah. Like, we talked about Bigfoot in Monster. Yeah. For as popular as he is yeah. outside of, rom- like, even the novels in general. Like, sci-fi, he has a lot more, obviously, for certain reasons and horror. But not as many as I would think for as popular of a character as he is. Well, yeah. He looks like he smells bad. He probably smells like wet dog. That's just, like, out of all the constant, like, monsters that there are in the yeah. world. Like, yeah, I would take looking scary over smelling scary. That's a good point. Okay. Okay. Um, so we're going to examine three legends today. Of course, Big Daddy Bigfoot himself, but also the Rougarou of Louisiana Swamps and Mothman of the West Virginia Mountains. I feel like he smells good because he's yes. constantly in the air. I mean, there is an issue possibly with bugs hitting him because he's like <laughs> flying, but I feel like the air too kind of like refreshes him. He better floss. Yeah. Like the like sweat would dry off of his body very quickly. Fresh. Yeah, and like moths too. They've got like that the little that fuzzy, powdery stuff yeah. on their wings. Like they just seem cleaner to me than that's true. Like a Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. They don't have feet either. That's why Mothman's so sexy. Yeah, that's why he has so many. And the wings, novels. like the wings yeah. are way better. Yeah, we'll get to why Mothman is sexy. And like don't there worry. is that statue of him. Yes, he's got like mad abs. Yeah, in every single de- depiction, he has mad abs. Like he is like the rock he's of ripped. the monsters. He's sexy. Man. I don't know what it is, but people just are like real into Mothman in a way they're not in other people. <laughs> I know. Now, this may seem like a tour of the most infamous North American cryptids, but in reality, all of these have made an appearance, albeit rather niche, into Romance Landia, except for Mothman. Mothman is like super popular, like we just said. We're going to talk about the origins of the legends, the monsters themselves, their appearance in romance novels, and just what their legends could mean for the wider world. So, if that sounds like something you're interested in, dear listener, grab a beverage, a comfy blanket, and Put on your listening ears because it's time to get cryptic. There's a lot of like theme songs in this one for some reason. Okay. So Jen, let's establish a baseline here for the listeners. I kind of know the answer, but are you an outdoorsy person? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess I shouldn't dismiss it out of hand. How are we defining outdoorsy? Like, can I sit like next to a pool? Can I like not get eaten by bugs? You did mow your entire lawn with a weed eater. I still do. I don't yeah. like. Well, have now a you have a clover lawn, so it's yeah, a it's easier. a lot easier. Thank God. But clover no. is so beautiful. Yeah. No, I'm not an outdoor person. I do yeah. not. I walk the dog in it, and like I don't mind walking in it. Like I like the naturey part. I'm just not like a camping person or a fishing person or a let me go out and get eaten by bugs person and sweat. And I don't like summer. Fair. I think it'd be better if it wasn't hot out. If I could go like outdoors somewhere, it's not hot. I'm but you happy. also don't like winter. I like winter. Okay. Winter's fine. Okay. No, winter's great. I don't get too hot in winter. And you get to stay inside all winter yeah, long. It's yeah, it's an excuse. True. That's true. Like, I can hide away from I can be my own Bigfoot. <laughs> you can hibernate all yeah, winter. Yeah, I'm a hermit. Well, I am the complete opposite. I am a very outdoorsy person. I was raised to not really have a choice living on a farm, but I like to hike. I like to camp. Jen and I were just talking about how I'm planning a huge trip next year that's going to be overlanding and camping through big national parks. So I'm really excited for that. And yes, I am outdoorsy, which means I... I've never had an experience with a cryptid. I, I, I have that. a friend whose husband says he did. Oh, really? What yeah. Is, what he was also drunk. So oh. I don't. That's like my one close experience. <laughs> yeah. I had a very good time and I got stuck up a tree because mm-hmm. I decided to climb a tree and then I saw something. But I still think it was just a coyote. Yeah, probably. I but. mean, it's, it's there's nothing in New York. Where was it? Um, In the Adirondacks. Yeah, and so then probably in the like. Skills. Yeah. Because no. it's close to the um, Appalachian Mountains, which we will talk about. We would have found something by now. Yeah. And I know your opinion on most cryptids, but is there any belief deep down inside in monsters in your heart? 
Just humans. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, humankind is monstrous enough sometimes. I don't need to yeah. have Bigfoot running around here. <laughs> that is very true. I was actually just reading a book where they had, like, dolphins, and the hero was like, I hate dolphins. They're terrible creatures. Like, they murder, and they Yeah. No, they're terrible or terrible, and, yeah. Yeah, and then the heroine was like, so do humans. I would be more worried about the humans than the dolphins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, fair. Okay, cool. The reason I ask is because these creatures we're going to be discussing today are all creatures of the wild, and experiences with them only really happen at the edges of the map, on camping trips, hiking in the mountains, or on desolate roads in the middle of the night, perhaps seen lingering on the edge of a swamp or over a secluded bridge. Yeah, I'm not at any of those places. <laughs> these aren't really the types of beings we're going to see roaming downtown Syracuse in broad daylight. I mean... Sometimes downtown Syracuse, you're like, well, is that maybe? That oh, could so be Bigfoot's something. not like teleporting into like the waffle restaurant, the Waho, the Waho. <laughs> no, yeah, he's, he's not going, like sinking in from the shadows. He's going to Big Mama's Diner down down the road, you know. Okay. <laughs> After all, where would the fun in that be if we just saw them everywhere? Right, all the mystery would be gone. And yes, I do have to make the disclaimer that these creatures are cryptids. <clears throat> and officially, a cryptid is any animal that has never been described by science. Yeah. There may be sightings, videos, photos, quote unquote, proof with hard evidence like hair examples, <laughs> or hair samples, okay. or like footprints or something like that. But until a creature has been genetically verified through science, and really until a specimen has been captured, studied, and tagged, it will remain a cryptid. Cryptids begin their curious lives in blurry photos and jittery videos, but quickly grab hold of the public's imagination, oftentimes growing into legendary status like the creatures we'll talk about today. From humble origins, they'll grow to mythic proportions, spawning festivals and Reddit threads, t-shirts and bumper stickers, and yes, romance novels. In North America alone, cryptid legends abound, from the ubiquitous stories of Mothman and Sasquatch through to the Chupacabra, Wendigo, and Jersey Devil, to name a few others. Urban legends, creepypastas, and again, those infamous Reddit threads fuel our obsession with these mysterious creatures. But though the current explosion of cryptids we have here in North America may seem dramatic, it is nothing new. In fact, cryptids have been noted throughout history, always at times of exploration, expansion, and colonization. And we'll come back to the idea, so put a pin in it for later. Creatures we now recognize as true biological specimens at one time may have even been stuff of myths. The Tasmanian devil, the platypus, the giant squid, even the orangutan. And these creatures may have even given birth to some of the cryptid stories we tell today. As we'll see in the coming examples, a lot of cryptids often evolve from indigenous myth or legend, and when white western explorers and colonizers encountered these myths, they quickly labeled them as something else. And don't worry, Jen, I'm not necessarily saying that all cryptids are real. And we're going to have a good discussion about frontier mentality when it comes to these legends at the end. But let's start diving into the myths to take a look at where they come from and whether there might be any veracity to them. Okay, let's start with a trip down to Louisiana and talk about the Rougarou. Jen, have you ever heard of this creature? It's like a shiftery thing. Like a, mm. It feels wolfy to me. Yes. Okay. I don't know it as well as the others, but yes. like it's like been mentioned. Yes, the Rougarou, many people will refer to as the werewolf of the Louisiana swamps. And of course, we've talked about werewolves before, and you should definitely go ahead and listen to our werewolf episodes for where those monstrous lures have come from. I've gone ahead and linked some of those in the show notes for you. And many are tempted to automatically label the Rougarou as a werewolf, mostly because the word Rougarou is a Cajun derivation of Lugarou, the French term for werewolf, as we discussed in our werewolf episode. The Rougarou is often described as tall, hairy, 
they're always hairy, with the head of a dog or wolf and glowing red eyes who prowls the swamp looking for naughty children and bad Catholics. And that's <laughs> really all we know. <laughs> Even the shape the creature takes is somewhat debated today, losing its werewolf-esque origins in favor of a swampy boogeyman. Now, a lot of times, the sources I was reading were like, anything you imagine it could be, it will be. So it really is like the boogeyman. But it can't be that old if it's going after Catholics. Because like, Catholicism has not always been here. So, like, it's one of those things where, like, the natives got mad at Catholics and were like, okay, we're going to go kill, like, the oh. thing's going to hunt you now? Oh, just wait. Okay. okay. All right, all right. The French origins of the Rougarou gives us strong insight into the myth. The Lougarou is straight up a werewolf. It's a man who transforms into a large wolf or dog form who would run rampant through the French countryside. However, as an added layer on top of that, something I didn't mention in our werewolf episode was that the Lougarou, to the French, became a creature of Catholic sin. If a Catholic hadn't been to Mass in seven years, the Lugahu would come find them. If they had committed another grievous sin, the Lugahu would track them down. What sin? Like, so, how like, grievous are we talking about? Like, a lot of the time it was uh, murder, obviously. Oh, okay. uh, uh, adultery, sorry, I couldn't think of what the word was, so cheating. Kind of anything Catholics were like, Okay, naughty, so it wasn't naughty. just like you didn't mow your lawn yesterday. No, it was like cool. anything that was against the commandments cool i don't know whatever catholics follow i'm not catholic um uh, this story stuck with french explorers as they settled in nova scotia called acadia and then later in the southern territories and what would become louisiana and the mississippi river basin when french colonists came to the new territories they were confronted with wild untamed lands and new people with their own culture and legends in an effort to maintain their own culture, religion, and belief, the Lugahu shifted <laughs> into a new beast. He still tracked down bad Catholics, especially important in a land that was so divested from the main Catholic church, hunting down anyone who didn't adhere to Lenten values, but also became an important symbol of European purity. Frequently, the men who became Lugahus were those who had had relations with indigenous people. Oh, ooh. Mm-hmm. Then, when the Acadians left the northern provinces and were ousted to the south by force or by choice, they took this idea with them, only to be confronted by the indigenous legends of the Atchafalaya Basin, where the Lugahu shifted as Cajun culture grew into the haunting Rougarou. That rhymed. That was fun. Okay. The Atchafalaya Basin is the nation's largest river swamp, containing almost one million acres of America's most significant bottomland hardwoods, swamps, bayous, and backwater lakes. The basin begins near Simsport, Louisiana, and stretches 140 miles southward to the Gulf of Mexico. And, Jen, did you know that there are no wolves native to the Louisiana swamps? Oh, yeah. So then where did this thing come from? Like, was it, do they have, like, coyote or something? There are red wolves in northern Louisiana in the past, or there were red wolves, I should say, but they have been hunted to near extinction. okay. And pockets are pretty rare today of that Mm. species. So when the Acadians came down to Louisiana in the past, their legendary Lugahu took on a new shift, no longer inspired by the wolf form of the north and of France, but specifically it took on characteristics from local Choctaw legend and from African slave religions such as voodoo. For the Choctaw, the wolf-like creature of the past legends took on aspects of the shape-shifting owl witch. And content warning, in case we have any native listeners, I'm going to be talking about owls and malevolent spirits here for a minute. In Choctaw myth, Ishkatini, in different peoples sometimes referred to as Stikini, I always say this wrong, Stikini or Stigini, is a shapeshifter who commonly takes the form of a great horned owl. They are malevolent shapeshifters, witches who prey upon their communities. 
part skinwalker, part spirit. By day, they still resemble people, but at night, they vomit up their souls, all in their internal organs, and become undead owl monsters that feed on human hearts. This lent itself to the appearance of the Rougarou. Instead of the wolfish features of its French and Acadian origins, most Cajuns will still describe the Rougarou as resembling something closer to a dog or an owl. I know they're completely different, but for some reason that, that works. From Voodoo, the, the idea of the curse took hold in Rougarou legend. Where before a curse was only one of the myriad ways one could become a Lugaru or werewolf, now it was the only way you could become a Rougarou, and it could be inherited. Bad Catholics were still susceptible to the Rougarou curse. If you didn't follow Lent, or if you hadn't observed the catechisms for seven years, you would inherit the curse. But a witch could also curse anyone she wanted to take vengeance on, because in this virgin, witches are always female. The witch herself could become a Rougarou after consuming human flesh, which kind of lent some ideas of Wendigo and cannibalism to the legend, and pass along the curse by biting her victim, or she could directly curse someone to be a Rougarou. The Rougarou will then be cursed for 101 days unless they can pass along their curse to another human by drawing the blood of the person they want to infect. A final key delineation in the Rougarou legend is that unlike a werewolf who only shifts, classically, on the full moon, the Rougarou is stuck permanently in its form, at least until it can get rid of the curse and shift back to human. All of this has evolved over time, and today the Rougarou, while commonly referred to as a type of werewolf, has recently been undergoing a new sublimation. The Atchafalaya Swamp, like I said, is the largest wetland and swamp in the United States. It is home to more than 300 species of wildlife and 100 different aquatic species, as well as the rich diversity of native flora. It's a flood relief system for the Mississippi River, and it's a natural filtration system for the saline water coming in from the Gulf. But both the river and the swamp are under supreme threat from environmental triggers, to a level it never has been before. The river is used heavily for shipping and industry, and decades of hydrologic manipulations have altered water flows. High banks prevent the natural overflow of river water into the back swamp, and because of these faster, straighter flows, the water doesn't have the time or space it needs to be filtered by the wetlands, leading to a drought of the swampland beyond the Rougarou's home territory. I'm sure you might be able to imagine where this is going. The Rougarou has become an advocate, a mascot, if you will, for the swamps and swamp conservancy. Where before he would come after you for not saying your Hail Marys, now he's a protector of the swamp, a champion for a difficult, difficult local cause. And I want you to remember that thread because it's something we're going to be seeing continuously popping up throughout all these cryptids we're talking today. And I did slightly cheat with the Rougarou because on the surface there are no romance books specifically about the Rougarou. But there are plenty about werewolves, and there are even some about swamp monsters. So I'm just going to smush these two together. Jen, why do you think we don't have any monster romance novels about the Rougarou? I feel like werewolves are easier to describe. Like, yeah. They're, they've been around, I'm not going to say they've been around longer, but I think they're more dominant in popular culture. So it's more knowledgeable. Mm. Like, I hadn't really heard of this a lot like just like offhandedly yeah like werewolf though i've been i've known what a werewolf is probably since yeah. i was a child yeah i mean it's just a, it's just easier part of the popular culture yeah. forever but also like as i was writing this i was thinking about sookie Stackhouse and yeah. how it was a werewolf pack in louisiana near new orleans mm -hmm. oh no near shreveport and i'm yeah. like again there are no wolves mm -hmm. really in louisiana yeah so it would have made more sense had it been rougarou pack i guess with werewolves they usually do like we have to go far away from our homes because we're so cursed and miserable oh, yeah like, so you know that didn't even question it to me but and i feel like sookie stackhouse was one of the first southernish kind of yeah southern gothic gothic kind of romance i read 
I mean, the it's, other one would be Sherilyn Kenyon. Yeah, yeah, because that was that. She was in New Orleans. Yeah. It wasn't, I don't want to say it wasn't popular, but I just don't think it was like a setting people used often enough until recently. Which is sad because it's such a great yeah, setting. Cool. And especially because Interview with a Vampire is based there. And that yeah. was like huge for paranormal. Mm-hmm. City of the Dead. Or yeah, whatever. but no, no Rougarou. I don't know. Yeah. So, if any authors are out there listening, paranormal authors, you should write a Rougarou romance. And well, like we Anne Rice was super Catholic, so like, yeah, she probably didn't want to talk about the this. Yeah, but then it would have been a great <laughs> villain in her stories. Probably just as well she didn't then. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But then at least we would know about it better. Anyways, yeah. now the Rougarou has been said as we has been seen as we said to be a boogeyman, the fool around and find out the consequence sort of creature, but. What about cryptids who are harbingers of doom? The ones that, when you see them, predict an imminent catastrophe. Well, that question leads us right into Mothman. Woo! I feel like Mothman needs to have his own theme song. He needs like, to be in Marvel. Forget Mothman. Iron Man. I'd much rather hang out with Mothman than Iron Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He'd be cool. Yeah. He'd be cool. DCU. Maybe he can revive it. Yeah. There is that one. Is it? It might be DC. Where it's like it's like a flying. It almost looks like Mothman. I don't know. Maybe I'm making something up, but he needs to be a superhero for sure. Well, the legend. He's got the abs. He's got the abs. Mm-hmm. He's got the muscles. He's got the wings. What more could you want? The legend of this Appalachian cryptid is much shorter than that of Louisiana swamp monster slash werewolf. But surprisingly, he has way more romance books than the Rougarou, which... It's the wings. Yeah. It's the flying. Like I said, he's sexy, so it works, you know. Rougarou is a swamp monster, Mm -hmm. so he probably smells like a swamp. Jen apparently has a big thing about smell, so... Well, smell is so important. (laughs) It is. It really, really, truly is. Mm -hmm. Working at the front desk of a library. Oh, yeah. It'll show you. agree with that. Yeah. Well, the legend of Mothman first appears possibly as early as 1961 when a father and daughter were driving down a lonely stretch of highway in the chief cornstalk wildlife management area along the border of West Virginia and Ohio and only a few miles south of the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. They slowed their vehicle after noticing a humanoid figure crouching in the center of the road, and when their headlights hit it, they were shocked to see that it snapped out a pair of wings so wide it reached to either side of the road. It took off, not bothering the car, and flew overhead on its giant wings. Five years later, in 1966, we have one of the most infamous sightings when the Scarberry and Maletti, I'm not sure, Mallet couples were driving through the former military munitions facility on the outskirts of Point Pleasant locally known as a TNT bunker area. They also noted a humanoid figure with a gray body, bright red eyes, and huge wings, except this time, as the couple drove away, the creature didn't fly overhead. Instead, it kept up with their car, following them at speeds almost to 100 miles an hour, and the creature began emitting squeaks and shrieks. From this experience, the name Mothman was born, granted by a Charleston news reporter who picked up the story, and this is another reason why Mothman deserves a theme song, because that news reporter was looking for some notoriety and borrowed from the popular Batman comic and dubbed the wing creature Mothman. See? He could be best buddies with Batman. Okay. Unfortunately, this was not the worst interaction to be had with the flying Mothman of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, nor would it give it its most notoriety, because his next sighting was on December 15, 1967, over the Silver Bridge, a suspension bridge that spanned the Ohio River and connected Point Pleasant to Gallipolis, Ohio. Shortly after he was spotted flying over the bridge, tragically, the bridge collapsed and 46 people were killed. Interestingly, there has not been a Mothman sighting since... 
There was one possible photo from 2016, but outside of that, there's nothing, which of course leads to many questions. Number one, where did Mothman go? And I included a picture for you, Jen. I wasn't sure if I could look yes, at it. Yes, you yet. can look at the picture. Oh. <laughs> it's like a kite. Come on. Come on. That could be anything. <laughs> oh, it could definitely be something. Mothman. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Investigation it's like following. a triangle. <laughs> There's a little blob sticking out of the top, and he's got like little... <sighs> I don't know why the first instinct is like, oh, it's a Mothman. It's a UFO. And not like it's just some debris that's floating around or like got caught up in the wind or it's a kite that got loose from the string. It could be a thousand things before it's a moth and a man together. It kind of looks like Megamind. I'll include a link to the show in the show notes I, to the photo so you guys can see it. <laughs> Megamind is way cooler and he's got a way rounder head. Okay. okay. And well, he doesn't have any of his cool stuff like the motorcycle or the little Ozobots. <laughs> Because he's always, like, his big thing is a dramatic entrance, and this isn't dramatic enough for him. I mean, it's pretty darn dramatic. It's not that dramatic. When he rescued that lady, he had way more stuff in the air. That's true. There are no pyrotechnics involved with Mothman, Yeah, what is it? It's just the red lights and the, or the red eyes and the... Squeaks. He squeaks. Ow. Sorry, that was bad. I don't know how moths squeak. I didn't even know moths squeak. Yeah, they do. Okay. I guess I don't hang out that much with moths. They use, um, what do bats use? You should squeakity squeak squeak <laughs> <laughs> the thing that oh my god are you a librarian so or not <laughs> my brain today anyway <laughs> investigation following the collapse of the silver bridge discovered that part of the suspension system had been broken causing the collapse but that did not lessen the impact of the possible sighting above the bridge and subsequently there was a connection for there was a connection between mothman's appearance and the deaths of the people Many would believe, indeed, that Mothman was there as a harbinger of doom, a foretelling of something dastardly to come, much like the Banshee and its cry precluding your death. And if we look at mythology for creatures the Mothman could be or could be related to, we possibly aren't too far off from some older legends. I just think if I was a giant Mothman, I would have better things to do with my life than warn a bunch of strangers you're going to die. And that's so, like, I flow over a bridge and that's supposed to signal that it's going to collapse. Like, it's not like that's not a great connection. Maybe he was just having a fun time with it. Yeah, okay. I honestly, I would troll people. Fair enough. If I was aware of that rumor, I would just go fly over like all the McDonald's and all the schools (laughs) and just like have fun with it. You would. You would. But otherwise, I'm like, if I'm just doing my own Mothman things, it just seems like a waste of time. Yeah, it's true. Kind of a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. He could have landed on a car and like really screwed with that car's, like that car's suspension. Yeah, like they could have been like, oh, I'm the the person who's being cursed right now rather than the entire bridge. Like hook man. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's true. He needs a hook. This is why he went. This is why he disappeared because he was like, dang it, my legend is just not. He just had a bad backstory and he was like, I'm just leaving. I'm cutting out of here. It wasn't even tragic. It was Mm -hmm. just. It was just boring. It's just not like formed well enough. I mean, he was at the TNT bunker area. He could have like had this great backstory with like a mutant and like Mm -hmm. munitions and the army, but no, it's a bridge. (laughs) Bridge too far. Not far enough. Anyways, just like the Rougarou, Mothman is possibly related to local First Nations legends regarding a great horned owl. So another content warning for native listeners. We're talking about owls again. Um, the Tsiligi, as I'm probably saying that really wrong too. I'm sorry. Tsiligi, as it was called by local Cherokee and Shawnee people. 
to the Cherokee, Sidigi were witches, masters of the night who perpetuated horrible crimes against their people. And again, see previous references to Stikini with the Seminole and Choctaw. In fact, and Jen, you can look at the pictures I have included below for you. There are more than a few people out there, myself included, who believe that these concurrences of Mothman sightings between 1961 and 1967 could have been the sighting of a large bird of prey, specifically either a rare type of great horned owl grown to gigantic proportions, you know, local to the area since gone extinct, or possibly an escaped specimen of Eurasian eagle owl known to have wingspans of upwards of six feet and eyes that can reflect an orangey red. That makes way more sense to me than just like it's a Mothman. Right? Like, especially look at this picture of the yeah. owl flying it looks kind of like if you squint your head eye uh, sideways mm-hmm. it could look like something even if it's not an owl it's just two people that saw this in the dark and it probably got six people six oh so okay six a father people. and daughter and yeah that was two separate things probably but like the two something. people were the ones who started it and it's like a game of telephone all these weird details yes. keep getting that and then and it just added keeps, like it's it keeps classic building. urban legend it keeps building yeah. it keeps getting darker it keeps getting scarier mm-hmm. and then it just got to the bridge and he goes eh never mind this isn't what I wanted for my thing. And then if you look at the second picture, you can see the orange yeah, he's eyes. Cute. He's cute. He's just like, mm-hmm. Okay. Others believe that due to the age and size and depths of the Appalachian Mountains, this could have been an actual animal. Now either extinct or hidden somewhere in the oldest, one of the oldest mountain ranges on Earth. I just feel like we would have found something by now. Uh, not if it's extinct. Well, yeah, but like bones or fossils or like. Not if it got eaten. All of them got eaten? I don't know. Like, every single one? Sure. (laughs) I don't know. The Appalachian Mountain Range extends for almost 2,000 miles from the Canadian province of, is it Newfoundland or Newfoundland? And, like, the 60s is when this was spotted. If they were going to find something like that. They were all high on LSD. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like the the use of drugs in these stories is not (laughs) elevated enough. We're going to talk about that later. (laughs) But just if they did exist, I feel like it'd be weird for them to have suddenly died out in the 60s and not, like, the 1760s. Yeah true but then we wouldn't have seen it white men would not have seen it yeah i mean they would have in 1760 anyways the appalachian mountain range extends from newfoundland we're gonna go with that and labrador to central alabama in the united states and encompasses smaller ranges including the blue ridge mountains the alleghenies the white mountains the green mountains the berkshires the catskills the great smoky mountains and more in fact, the Blue Ridge are the 10th oldest mountain range in the entire world. They formed 1 billion years ago. And for reference, the Himalayas only formed 40 to 50 million years ago. So the Blue Ridge are twice as old as the Himalayas. And parts of the Appalachian Mountains remained above rising sea levels during all periods of Earth formation. In addition, passing glaciers during the Pleistocene left behind remnants of flora and fauna in the southern peaks of the chain that aren't seen anywhere else except in the far north and in those southern mountain peaks, and some of which are even extinct in the northern climes. Today, it is estimated that of some 2,000 species of Appalachian flora, perhaps 200 are native and wholly confined to southern Appalachia. These facts all put together are more than enough fodder for evolutionary biologists and cryptozoologists alike. You have a thought. I just think we would have, I don't know, I feel like it wouldn't have been the 60s. Yeah. It would have been a much longer story. Yeah. I don't know. Well, that's like. I don't like that one. I think it's more likely that, yeah, it was just an owl that people blew up. I like the owl idea. Because I can just imagine I'll go like, yeah. I mean, even the owl is a little stupid, but I'm assuming like. Harbinger of Doom, the Choctaw, all these indigenous people consider the owl a harbinger of doom. So Mm -hmm. it fits. It fits. It works. Um, 
Mothman, again, as argued, could have been a remaining specimen of a long extinct life form from earlier areas, perhaps left over from the megafauna stage of the Pleistocene, where other creatures were extraordinarily large compared to their modern day descendants. Yeah, but then we would have found those bones or like some kind of fossil. Like, we would have found something if they were like in the megafauna stage of evolution and like backfed with the dinosaurs. I am not a science person. I don't know why you're looking at me like no, that, but I, I know love- you know what I mean. <laughs> I love it. It's the seeing is believing. Yeah. And it's, but it's also funny because these people saw it but we can't really believe it because we don't have that hard evidence again yeah i mean yes scene is believing to a point yeah like i would not trust myself and my opinions if i saw a creepy mothman in the middle of the night down a, a lonely road yeah like i would hope people would question me because that does not make sense yes it's just so interesting to me how mothman is one of the most popular cryptids and there's only what these three ish sightings in the 1960s and yet he's grown to like these mythic epic proportions and yes he's super popular in romance novels and you and i even said he's sexy mm-hmm. but like there's something like fun about him i don't know it's like a moth yeah. and a man mothman yeah it's just i don't know what it is it just captures the imagination in a way like mm. bigfoot doesn't because oh, he I was smells like a dog Birdman in dc universe that's what I was thinking. Oh, about. okay. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I yeah. don't care about Birdman. I like Mothman. But he also but deserves like, a cooler name than Mothman. Maybe it's the eyes. I don't know. It's or maybe it's because he's just been like kind of floating around doing his own thing. He seems very chill. Yeah. He's very chill. Yeah. He's like in the romance books we read where there's that one vampire who's just like chilling in the background, just like yeah. collecting all this wealth. He's like, whatever. I'm here mm-hmm. for a long time. Not a good time. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Mothman. Mm. Well, like we just said. Mothman has remained in the hearts of cryptid lovers, monster hunters, and urban legend ever since the 1960s, and remains one of the most written about cryptids, especially in romance, outside of werewolves and vampires. Three of my personal favorites that I can recommend to you are C.M. Nascosta's Sweetberries, which is quite spicy. Um, She did write the Minotaur book, after all. I'm in love with Mothman by Paige Lavoie. And every time I say that title, all I can think of, I'm in love with a stripper, which is not even close. But anyways, and this book, it kind of even verges on the sweet side of romance, surprisingly. Um, And there is Mild Spice. This is one where when they have fun times, he is only in human form, Uh, like human-ish form. Yeah, that's fair. It's not like Sam Nascosta. And Moth Wanted by Loki Renard, which is dark monster hunter romance where Mm. she is a monster hunter and she gets kidnapped by mothman okay so no those are really fun ones and jen what do you think of mothman romance books (sighs) have you read any of these no oh i know it's really embarrassing but usually if i want something that flies i just go find a gargoyle or i just like gargoyles are fun too yeah or you do like an angel or something i don't know there just wasn't that much option for a long time and then i got distracted by other things when there were the opportunities and no, I am very embarrassed for as much as I've defended Mothman in this episode. I have not actually read a Mothman romance. Okay, well, I think you should start with uh, Moth Wanted because okay. it's dark romance. Well, I don't, I mean, it depends how dark. Is he mean to her? Yeah. Yeah, see, I don't want to, okay. yeah, I don't want to okay. read about then a mean read guy. Sweet fairies because okay. Mothman in that one is just like wholly adorable and okay. he does smell good. Oh, good. That's important. There's just some I would hope so them. with the sweet berry. Yeah, they both work on a berry farm. Yeah, that's nice. They and should smell can- good. He can smell things. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, finally, the piece I know you have all been waiting for because Mothman is not the only possibly evolved species still roaming America's wild. No! 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 Don't worry. We'll talk about other things. No! It is time for Big Daddy Sasquatch to take the limelight. I'm really mad I forgot to take an Advil. You won't want to go on. No, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll suffer through All it. All right. Well, I'll get through don't this. Don't worry. We'll talk about anthropology. 
Okay. And and, and how it's not real. Let's get it over with. Yeah. No. Okay. If we boil Sasquatch or Bigfoot, as he is more colloquially known, down to his bare bones facets, not literally, of course, because as Jen would point out, there are no bones. Thank you. A hairy mountain man, ape, beast. Nearly every state in the somewhat United States has a sighting or local legend or something Bigfoot-esque. And in fact, Bigfoot-like creatures are sighted all over the world, notoriously with the Yeti of the Himalayas, the Wild Man of Borneo, and the Yowie of Australia. I once had a reference question where the lady wanted to know who the nice Bigfoots were. Because she had heard of like these Bigfoot-like creatures that would protect children. Yeah. So she wanted to know about them specifically, but not the mean ones. We'll talk about that. Great. We'll talk about that. Don't worry. Great. And then you can finally answer that reference question. Well, I did, but it was just okay. like, okay, I, there was, there's variations of Bigfoot and yeah. I've read about like these Boreo guys. The Borneo. Yu- yeah. The Yui. Yowie. Whatever. Yeah. There's actually um, a thriller by one of my favorite thriller authors, James Rollins. It's called Subterranean and it's possibly explains why I love these myths so much, but basically they go like into the subterranean cavern underneath Australia and it's really cool, and the Yowies are in it. So if you want it, it's called Subterranean. But today, I want to focus exclusively on the OG North American Bigfoot, the Sasquatch. So to do that, we're going to zoom our map over to the Pacific Northwest, specifically California, Oregon, and Washington. We're going to focus on the U.S., but be aware that like other animals that do exist, I will say that for Jen's <clears throat> sake, <clears throat> Sasquatch does not observe international borders. In fact, the term Sasquatch is derived from Sasquets, from the Chehalis First Nation of what is now British Columbia, and I'm so sorry if I butchered that, in the Fraser Valley. Sorry, they live in, Br- in the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. The word Sasquatch first made it into the English lexicon in 1929 when teacher J.W. Burns, who worked on the Chehalis Reservation, wrote his article, Introducing BC's Hairy Giants. <laughs> he recorded other names. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like he's just being mean to somebody who's really big and hairy. Yeah, well, he was also a white man in the 1920s yeah, exactly. working on reservations, so, you know, mm. could not have been nice. Um, but so he also recorded other names such as Sasquatl, Sasquatl, Sami Sokquayam, Sasquatl, and others. But Sasquatch stuck probably because it has the easiest ring. To I it. still say knowing this detail, I bet it was just a bunch of people just trolling him hard, like oh, yeah. picking the that person would be great, like actually. they hate the most in the in the facility wherever they are, and just being like, oh yeah, that guy Sasquatch. Like, What's our most ridiculous legend? We're gonna yeah. tell the white man, mm-hmm. and then he's gonna just take have fun it, with it, and they're gonna believe it, and <laughs> we're all gonna ha 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 in the background. And here okay. we are now making fun of Jackie for <laughs> believing it. We'll talk about that. Uh-huh. Um, he also included anecdotes that suggested these creatures had been part of the local landscape for a long time, noting stories of wild men of the woods and kidnappings. If we look at the lore, the Sasquatch is a large ape-like figure who is covered in dark brown or black hair and is bipedal, walking like humans do. Other pieces of legend float to us over time, including his haunting call, glowing red eyes. They all have red eyes. I don't know why. Maybe it's a fashion choice. And yes, the size of his feet. Though, as one of my sources said, when you're faced with a monster, you aren't really thinking about how big their feet are. Yeah, that's true. I thought that's you would fair. appreciate that. Yeah. That is fair. Unless that- it's a romance novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll give you that one. Indigenous myths and lore about large ape-like creatures abound all across the country. Myths of Titiako, or wild people of the woods, were first documented in 1865 by ethnographer George Gibbs. Members of plateau tribes, such as those at the Warm Springs Reservation, identify Bigfoot as a stick man. 
a diverse category of potentially hostile beings who stole salmon or confused people by whistling, causing them to become lost. If you're ever in the woods, do not whistle, Jen, because then something could whistle back and then you are caught. What if I'm the one who whistles back? That's just creepy. See, I was making it sound like a bird. And then I'm safe because they'll think it's just a bird. I but you'll to... know that it's. <laughs> no, I know it is not a cryptid. Mm-hmm. It is just Jen. Yeah. Although to find you in the woods, like lurking on your own, I would be very worried <laughs> to begin with. No, I'd be screaming. Yeah. That would, <laughs> would not be there That's very where the haunting calmly. call comes from. <laughs> I would not just be wandering around if there was not a real problem happening. Yeah. And for centuries, Florida Seminoles called these creatures the SD Kapkaki, tall man, though today they are recognized as the skunk ape for their smell. It wasn't until the 20th century when white men really started documenting sightings of the creature. So obviously this is when it entered the cultural rhetoric as folklore grew into urban legend. Sightings began to be more heavily recorded in 1904 with reports of Harry of a hairy wild man by settlers in the Sixes River area of the coast range. 20 years later, in 1924, miners on St. Helens claimed to have been attacked by giant apes. Then, in 1958, we get the infamous legend of Bigfoot documented for the first time in the Humboldt Times. Journalist Andrew Gonzoli highlighted a dubious letter from a group of loggers in Northern California who came across shockingly large footprints around their camp and logging site. According to the loggers, a 450-pound drum of diesel fuel had gone missing, and a 700-pound spare tire for the road-grading machine had somehow found its way into a ditch, all with mysterious footprints all around them. Gonzoli published his piece on September 21st, writing, quote, Maybe we have a relative of the abominable snowman of the Himalayas. And so Bigfoot, named for the size of his footprints, was irrevocably linked with the Yeti and made his debut into the print stage of America. Then... You can look at the picture. Oh. On October 20th, 1967, Sasquatch believers everywhere had the ultimate payoff. Oh, ultimate. Okay. Roger Patterson and Robert Grimlin were riding their horses in Bluff Creek, a wooded area in Northern California, when they said they came upon an ape-like creature. The creature started to flee, but Patterson said he managed to film it before it disappeared into the brush. Yeah. Okay. From Patterson's film, we get the most infamous photos of Bigfoot, dare I say, in the world. Wasn't this debunked? They, like, admitted it was somebody in an ape suit? They never admitted it. Most people will say it is. Because, I mean, yeah. when you look at it, his face, it's like. Like, come on. It's obviously. That's yeah, just that's too much a... hair. There's no mouth. Oh, that's the problem. There's yeah. no mouth. And, like, his booty too fine. Okay. You know. So, if you've ever, like, if you've seen a picture of Bigfoot, what I was going to say. But, like, the picture you think of when you think Bigfoot is the picture that Roger Patterson took. And it's actually a video. So, it's, like, him moving in, like, jittery 1960s still frames through, like, a river rock bed since then sasquatch sightings stories and societies abound he's become a variety of things to a variety of people like jen's reference question to some he is a guardian of the woods especially given that he likes to vandalize logging sites there are also stories of him rescuing lost hikers or and campers or helping those in peril some believe he could be the quote missing link between humans and our ape ancestors of course anthropologists and paleoanthropologists have long identified that link so just get that out of your heads Hominid species such as the Denisovans, Neanderthals, Homo erectus, and most notoriously Australopithecus afarensis, best represented by the specimen named Lucy. Some believe that the Sasquatch could be an example of one of these earlier hominids, like Mothman, left alone in the mountainous terrain of the Pacific Northwest and left to evolve at its own rate. Still others, obviously like Jen, 
think he is pure folklore, a myth made up to serve as a warning or as a figment of our imagination. Mm -hmm. But that hasn't stopped us from romanticizing Bigfoot and putting him in our hearts and minds. Fine. Romanticize him all you like. I understand that, you know, people like to do that kind of thing. Obviously, (laughs) I like romance. I get it. (laughs) But just I think sometimes the... Get caught up in it all. Yeah, I think people like the Bigfoot TV shows are a little much. Those are so ridiculous. Those are oh, that's ridiculous. But you're over here like oh, maybe he's interdimensional and he uses portals to get around. Yeah, because that's fun to think about. Okay, it's like thinking about Nessie. I, part of this episode, I wanted to talk about like monsters, but I started getting into it, and there's just way too much to talk about. And I really just wanted to talk about the Loch Ness monster, who obviously doesn't live in the United States, but I couldn't, so I didn't. But it's just it's fun to talk about. I mean, it's fun to believe in. Like it would be cool maybe if he was a nice guy about like yeah. these big creatures roaming around outside. There would be a lot more deaths. But, like, out of all of this stuff, the only time I was kind of close to thinking maybe something's happening. I don't know if you watch Unsolved Mysteries. Sometimes. So, the most recent season on Netflix, they actually had uh, these native... What did they... They have native paranormal investigators... Oh, cool. ...that would investigate kind of these paranormal things that were happening in their reservations. And they did have a woman who claimed she saw Bigfoot that it came right up to her trailer... And she very clearly believed she saw something. Mm. Like, I feel like with a lot of the stuff, like the Patterson film to me just feels very much like a cash grab. Yeah. I know that yeah. dissolved into like a cash grab and it was a whole thing. And I think a lot of the Bigfoot stuff is more about like notoriety. Yeah. And getting money and like they've got Bigfoot museums. And that's kind of like one of the places where they have like all the Bigfoot sightings. It's how they make their money. Yeah. You know, it's like a big tourist attraction. Yeah. But I do kind of feel for some people who like really genuinely think they saw something strange and don't know how to explain yes. it. There's this one video I have saved on my social media that is the one time I've seen a video and I'm like, I don't think that's a hoax. That is the freakiest thing I've ever mm-hmm. seen. And it was this guy, he lives in the mountains because of course they always live in the mountains. Yeah. But he goes out at night and he's like, something's scaring the chickens again. And he goes out and he's filming and he's like, you need to get away. And he like pans his camera around and he pauses and he's like, I see you. And things like stand up mm-hmm. and sit down and stand up. And then you see it run away. Yeah. And it's like, they, it, it's the freakiest thing I personally have ever seen mm-hmm. on a social media that I will like that could be something but is it a person yeah is it is the whole thing staged I think that's staged? one of my things is it the quote unquote feral people of the mountains yeah like that's another thing is there are pockets of people who exist outside of society and outside of society's bounds who might behave in a manner that isn't what we would consider civilized mm-hmm. right I hate to use the word civilized but you guys get what I mean well, anyways, back to the romanticizing after that tangent. As the legend of Sasquatch grew, so too did he, did um, his appearances in our media. Some believe King Kong, whose first appearance was in 1933, was inspired by the Squatch. Following the logging sightings of the 50s and 60s, Squatch turned into a character for men's dime novels and comics, where he took on a sinister overtone. He was the representative of the great wilderness men were supposed to go out and conquer. And go listen to our Cowboy and Christmas Tree episodes for more information on masculinity and westward expansion. Then in the 70s and 80s, the myth took an interesting turn. Maybe it was all the mushrooms. Yes. Maybe it was the lead in the pipes. But it was the mushrooms. Sasquatch suddenly became a sexual figure. It's also the 70s. Yeah. At first, it's the mustaches. At first, he was a sexual predator. Well, yeah. Again, we can look to the psyche of the time and think about like new wave feminism and how women were breaking into careers where previously it had been mostly men who had worked there, like 
logging, forestry, ranger services, etc. Possibly Sasquatch as a predator was part of the misogyny that followed women moving into these outdoor spaces. Like, you better watch out for a Bigfoot little girl or he'll get you. Well, thinking about like Nancy Friday's work yeah. with My Secret Garden and how many women admitted to having fantasies yeah. of like dubious consent or rape. Yeah. I could see That's like... True. You wouldn't want to maybe impart that on a human figure. Maybe you would want to fantasize about, like, an actual real monster. Yeah, and, like, when we talked about sci-fi way back in that first Mm sci-fi episode we did, we talked about the first science fiction was in the 1960s, and it was an alien romance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Thank you. Thankfully, in the 80s, things again took a turn, and the Squatch showed his softer side. This is when he first became associated with conservation movements like Smokey the Bear, sentimental value that I think we can still ascribe to most monsters today. And yes, there are indeed romance novels that feature Sasquatch slash Bigfoot out there, much to Jen's chagrin. As long as he takes a bath, that's fine. <laughs> I just think he looks like somebody who has to take a lot of showers. He has to be brushed. Like, oh frequently. god, I can't even imagine that. He has like, to go I, to the groomers. It's bad enough with my own hair. I can't imagine living with a Bigfoot. Like, go in the all the time sorry i had a hiccup i can't imagine you need like 10 roombas to deal with it oh my god because you can't keep up with it (laughs) yeah like you'd have to wash your sheets every night like i understand why they live outside i didn't even think about the sheets Mm -hmm. that'd be terrible yeah anyways um what's interesting to me is that while there are of course cryptid romances and erotica featuring bigfoot as the love interest interesting they're they're all like erotica and i think that goes back to what you were saying Mm -hmm. about like fantasies and i think it takes a minute you gotta like but once you get there you're like maybe i could read this Mm -hmm. but what's interesting to me and what i personally love is that there are cryptid hunter romances yeah so take for instance um beverly green's first adventure beverly is hired as a journalist and her first assignment is to go out on a bigfoot hunt and she wonders what does where one wear (laughs) on a first date that is a bigfoot hunt first or twice shy which you Jennifer and Jackie were trying to keep from me, but Jackie is a true friend. Other Jackie, I'm not referring to myself. Yeah, like that'd the be third weird. Person. Jackie G was like, I need to tell you about this book Jen didn't want me to tell you about. Um, it's a grumpy Traitor. groundskeeper in the Smoky Mountains, and apparently there is like Bigfoot in Loch Ness. Well, something. it's not on the book club list yet. So. No, but I did request it so I could read it. Okay. Anyways. Well, we'll see. <laughs> if it's good, sure. And honestly, most outdoorsy romances that I've read, and honestly, I've read a lot of them, always feature some element of, oh my God, is that Sasquatch? I would love to see him in a New York boardroom now. Just to twist it. Mm -hmm. You remember those caveman commercials? Yeah. That would be be like that, but with Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, to bring it all together, it's interesting to note that in our modern Western minds, we do not really fear our monsters anymore. We're warned of them, sure. We're told horror stories about things that happen to people in the woods, but it's part of our mindsets, at least for most people I'm aware of, to not fear the thing that goes bump in the night, at least not until it happens to you. We tell scary stories around the campfire. We share our experiences as creepypastas in Reddit threads and Tumblr chains, and we laugh and expand upon them with our own elaborations. Look at Slenderman. We write romance books literally romanticizing these monsters, things that have historically been warnings and things to scare the poop out of us. I didn't owe you a quarter there. Ha ha. Mm. But now, monsters and cryptids are our creepy friends that we actively go seek out. To me, it's so incredibly reminiscent of this phenomenon called Turons. Jen, have you ever heard of this? This isn't chemistry, right? No, no. Okay. It's purely like it's people. <laughs> okay, good. Turons. <laughs> and you can click the link that I included in the comments oh. for you. Turons. If Hopefully you can see it. It's loading. It goes to Instagram. Maybe. 
There you go. Okay. Oh. Okay. So tourons are tourist morons. <laughs> they're the dummies in national parks and out hiking and outside who do stupid things that they're told literally not to do. And then they suffer the consequences of their actions while also taxing search and rescue or like emergency medical operatives who have to deal with these dum-dums. Like the guy who tried to put his toddler on the back of a bison in Yellowstone. Or the hikers in Yosemite who re- each received $5,000 tickets for climbing a fence over a cliff to take a selfie. Oh, God. Or the idiots who try to feed bears out of their hands. Just don't do it. Okay? Like, I can't no. believe you have to tell people. Oh, I love the people next to like the, the hot spring guys. Yes. Like. Oh, my gosh. That's so stupid. There's this one. There's infamously the hot dog man who like boils hot dogs <gasps> over the- Are they next to wolf pups? Oh, no. Probably. Oh, no. I'll include the link for you guys. If you're on Instagram, it's uh, Tourons of Yellowstone. T-O-U-R-O-N-S of Yellowstone. And it's- it's kind of cathartic, honestly, to look at these idiots and be like, I will never be one of those people. It so. only lets me go so far, okay, but I, yeah. what I saw was enough. Yeah, so you get it. Monsters, cryptids, creatures of the woods. These stories were originally told to warn us of the dangers of the outside world and to help us rationalize the scary things that we couldn't make sense of in places we had never been. Science has explained most of our unknowns, but we're still out there discovering new things every day. And to me, Personally, this is where the lure of cryptids comes in. Of cryptids comes in. It's the what if of it all. Do I actually believe that there's a giant hairy hominid running around the woods on top of the mountains? No slash I don't. Oh, come on. It's nice to believe (sighs) and it's nice to have hope that we haven't totally destroyed (laughs) our environment and that we still have mysterious unknown creatures and land out there left for us to discover. And Jen, don't go getting smug because I'm still going to go around saying Sasquatch is real. And I still have bumper stickers for Sasquatch on my car. So, because Sasquatch, like the other cryptids we talked about today, have come to stand for something more than legends and warnings. To me, and to many I know, they represent hope. A hope for something else out there. For something wild, left, untouched, and free. Once upon a time, explorers set out into the uncharted regions where only sea serpents and warnings of Hicksontracones, here there be dragons, resided. But today we have a quote-unquote global village, a sprawling megaculture with chain stores and denim jeans and brands and makeup trends and social media. Everything looks the same. The world has been Google Earth to death and GPSed to the infinitesimal point, and yet There still remain large stretches of land that have not been explored and thousands of miles of ocean that no human has ever been in. We still have that hope, as small as it may be, to find something new, exciting, mysterious, dangerous, wild. We still have hope for Sasquatch, for Mothman, for the Rougarou, because there are still those of us who hope for our planet and the wild things around us and for the potential discoveries that lay in those uncharted regions. Indeed, extraordinary discoveries await us. So the next time you hear a rustle in the bushes or a haunting howl in the middle of the night or feel the thump of wings above you on a lonely trail or see glowing eyes peering back at you from between the trees, be scared, be afraid, but also be amazed. And remember that we haven't completely screwed this place up yet. There's still a little wild out there for you to find. In the words of one of my heroes, adventure is out there. Are you feeling all warm and heart glowy inside? No. I tried. I tried to give you feelings. I'm not as sentimental for this episode. I don't know. I'm like, I do not want Bigfoot to be real. He sounds awful. He's going to smell awful. 
It could kill off the Tourons, though. Yeah, fair. Okay. But, like, the, the buffalo will do that for him, I think. Yeah, this is fair. And the bears in the, the hot and springs. The, and the elk. And and the, the, the dangling off the rock. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Seriously. I don't know. It's just, like, it's nice to believe in something. Okay. Like, I, I'm fair not enough. religious at all. So, I guess this is my religion. It's, it's cryptids. <laughs> I mean, I guess you're safe from the Rougaloo. Rougarou. Yeah. Yeah. That guy. Yeah, no. I I did drive the Louisiana Swamps last year, and it was really cool to see, like, all the cypress trees and all mm. that. But, yeah, cool. no. So there we go. There cool. are cryptids. Well, let us know if you guys feel the same way as Jackie and want to go out into the woods and find a Bigfoot, because I do not. I don't know if I want to find Bigfoot, because, mm-hmm. like you said, he's scary. Yeah. But I do want to go out in the woods, so. Okay. And I'm going out in the woods. Actually, when this episode goes out, I will be out in the woods. Cool. Fun times. Well, Jen, what are we talking about next time? I don't know. Okay. Fair. (laughs) We're recording this really far in advance. (laughs) Let me know, ragingromantics at nopal.org, what you want. And then I am done for the summer because I am going to be a crazy person. And don't forget, Jen still has to listen to her first audiobook. So keep. So maybe that'll in. be actually sending suggestions. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten any. You guys don't care about my audio listening needs. Well, I care, but she keeps so sad wiping my suggestions away. Well, I got. I want to give the romance nerds a chance. Okay. Well, yeah, they, I want them to participate a little bit if they want to. And finally, what are we reading now, Jen? What did I just? Oh God, I don't think I've read anything oh, since no. I talked to you. Jeez, <laughs> you just you marked something is read on your Goodreads because I? I stalk you on Goodreads. Well, while you look that up, I just finished Off the Map, ironically, very apropos for today's episode, by Trish Dollar and Dollar Dollar. And it is about a woman from America who is like, all she does is go off-roading, overlanding in her Jeep, and she's got like a lot of baggage from her past. She goes to a wedding of her best friend in Ireland, and she gets there, she meets the best man insta lust they decide to go on a road trip through ireland because he's never been and he has a land rover and he's like i want to do this they do they fall in love the first like two-thirds of it is pure fluff pure like this is a three-star romance novel nothing right home about the ending is it made me cry so hard that ending so it's it's really good highly recommend off the map so I've not actually read a new one that I want to oh, talk about. The okay. last one was not that good. Okay. I did start rereading, though, How to Be a Good Creature, a memoir in 13 Animals by Ooh. Sig uh, Montgomery, because that is going to be the next uh, memoir pick in May. Actually, I guess by now we would have already done it. So sorry, you can't come. <laughs> but it is an excellent memoir about this woman who is an animal writer, scientist, researcher, and the 13 animals that she has like loved and learned life lessons from. So it's like a sneaky memoir where she kind of... S- hides these details about her life and some of her trials and tribulations uh, in stories about like pigs or weasels. I just read the dog one. Like it's very interesting how she kind of like, she sneaks it in like vegetables. Oh yeah. I like that. It's cool. I think it's going to be a really good book club. So sorry you guys didn't get to come. What are you guys reading for next month's memoir book club? We are doing the glorious Steinem on the road. Oh, okay. Cause I was like, okay, summer road trip. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. Well, on that note, for Romance Book Club, if you want to join us in June, we're going to be reading Delilah Green Doesn't Care, which is one mm-hmm. of my favorite queer contemporaries. It's going to be cool. So you guys can join us for that because it is maybe virtual. If we're outside, it's not virtual. But if you're in the area, come join us. Anyways, that does it all for this one. Thank you for bearing with me for a discussion of cryptids and some of my favorite things in the world. So, Jen, on that note, what do we always say? Rage on! Oh! Bye, guys. <laughs>
Jason Dawn? Yeah. Okay. Scared me. I think he's scared. Sorry. That's what we're really scared of. Not cryptids, but of noises in the library when we're locked up. It's scary. I know. It's like we're in a fishbowl sometimes. (laughs) Do this without screeching our ears out. I almost said ear balls. You do a voice. Voice. Can you say something continuously? Continuously. Okay. Continuously. Continuously. Thank you very much, Continuously. That is beautiful. Continuously. Okay. I get it. That's enough slices.